Millions of American teachers routinely turn to the internet in search of lesson plans and other instructional materials to supplement their core curriculum. And more and more of those teachers are finding their way to websites that enable teachers to post their lesson plans online and, in some cases, get paid when others use them. Just this month, Amazon launched a new lesson sharing storefront called Amazon Ignite in an effort to get a piece of the action. Online curricular materials are therefore an increasingly important influence on what teachers do and what students experience in the classroom. But are the materials any good? I'm Marty West, editor of Education Next, and my guest today is Morgan Polikoff, associate professor at the University of Southern California's Rossier School of Education, and I'm happy to say an occasional contributor to Education Next. Along with Jane Dean, Morgan's the author of the new study, The Curriculum Bazaar, Is What's Online Any Good? Just published by our friends at the Thomas B. Fordham Institute. You can find an essay by Morgan under that same title on the EdNext website at educationnext.org. Morgan, welcome to the EdNext podcast. Thanks very much. Glad to be here. So your essay starts out as follows. Almost all American teachers supplement their core curriculum, if they even have one, with materials they gather from the internet. There are a couple of striking things about that statement. One is the notion that a decent number of teachers don't even have access to a core curriculum. But the second is just the claim that almost all American teachers are going online in order to supplement what they do have access to. How do we know about how much of this is going on? Sure. So there's a variety of state and nationally representative surveys of teachers, um, some from RAND, um, one from a Harvard project led by David Blazar um, that show that this phenomenon of supplementation is extremely widespread. So just as an example, um, in 2017, um, Rand asked their nationally representative sample of teachers how often they used a variety of uh, different supplemental websites. And uh, just focusing on ELA teachers, 55% of teachers said they use Teachers Pay Teachers at least once a week. 46% said they use Pinterest at least once a week. Uh, 39% said they used ReadWorks at least once a week. So if you add all these up, it's basically teachers saying, I'm using not not just one website, but multiple websites at least once a week. Um, so this is a very widespread phenomenon. And increasingly, as I understand it, it's not just going online to search up a fact or a concept on Wikipedia, but rather going online and looking for lesson plans that increasingly are housed at a relatively small number of sort of major marketplaces. Is that right? Yeah. So I, so I don't know about uh, whether, the, whether the supplemental market is consolidating or not, but I do know that, you know, there are a number of big players. Um, Teachers Pay Teachers, Pinterest, and Google, I think, are, are by all accounts the three biggest. Um, and, and as you said, Amazon is moving into this space as well. Um, and teachers go to these websites for a variety of reasons, so they don't just go to Teachers Pay Teachers to get lessons. You can also get, you know, things to decorate your classroom and things like that. I should know my mother-in-law uh, goes to Teachers Pay Teachers with some regularity. Um, but but certainly lessons are lessons and units are a major part of what's available on these websites. And so for this study, you focused in on three of the major players in this lesson planning space. Which are they? So we focus on Teachers Pay Teachers, which is definitely the, the biggest uh, elephant in this room. 
uh, read, write, think, um, which is uh, 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 sort of middle in terms of how much people are using it, and share my lesson, which is, a, a, I would say, a more niche uh, site. And the report details the ways in which these sites differ. One big difference is Teachers Pay Teachers is, a, is sort of a, a for-profit company that's like a really like a marketplace where virtually anyone can post and, you know, teachers can buy and select. The other two websites are free. That's one big difference, but you can read more about the differences in the report. And how did you go about analyzing the quality of the material available on those sites? So uh, we created a rubric um, that had, uh, I want to say, 28 um, different ratings on it uh, that were focused on sort of a few key buckets. So uh, uh, one bucket was related to content, so about alignment to standards, uh, about a sort of the extent to which the materials emphasize sort of major instructional shifts under um, new, the new generation of standards. We had another bucket that was focused on sort of like dimensions of usability, how basically how easy is it for a teacher to pick this up and, and use this material. And then we had another set of dimensions that was um, focused on, I think, sort of other key things that we thought were important. So like uh, how, how, how much do the materials um, coherently build knowledge? How much do they um, represent the diversity in American classrooms? Um, things like that. Um, so our reviewers had this. Um, so so I so I created this draft rubric. Went through multiple rounds of revision. We got feedback from a lot of different external organizations, and then uh, and then we trained our reviewers and they went to work. And how did you decide which of the thousands of potential lesson plans on these websites that you could have reviewed to to look at? Was it a random sampling, or are you looking at those that are most commonly used? So, uh, so we were able to get information from all three websites on which uh, materials are the most commonly downloaded. Um, some websites, like Teachers Pay Teachers, that's a, a default sort function. But from the other websites, they gave us a list of the most downloaded materials. So these were the most downloaded high school ELA materials that were available on these websites. Um, and there were a couple other inclusion criteria, but basically um, that's what we applied. And by the way, you just said thousands. Teachers Pay Teachers has well over a million resources on its website. And the bottom line is that even when you zeroed in on the most popular, the most downloaded materials on that website and the two others, that at least according to your expert reviewers applying your rubric, the materials just aren't very good. On a zero to three scale with two or higher corresponding to materials that reviewers thought teachers should even consider using, the average score was 1.28. I think if I read the report right, 64% of the lessons reviewers said either shouldn't be used or probably weren't worth using at all. What were the main problems that reviewers identified? Well, so uh, so our reviewers identified a number of problems um, and sort of I think uh, which problems stuck out the most depended on the individual reviewer, but some big things that that were consistent across reviewers. One was the issue of alignment. A lot of these materials claim alignment to a number of different standards, and I think that that has to do in part with the way that people search these websites. Um, and if you tag a bunch of standards, you're more likely to show up in searches. So, uh, but our reviewers felt that most of the materials were not aligned to most of the standards they claimed alignment to. 
So they might have been aligned to some of the standards, but not all of them. So that was a big problem. Um, uh, the assessments that were included in the materials, um, you know, assessments to gauge student learning. Uh, reviewers had a number of problems with the assessments on average and just in general thought that they were kind of mediocre. But one big problem was they often didn't provide teachers with the kinds of scoring guidance that they might need to score student work. Um, the materials, we, we asked um, reviewers for longer materials, so materials covering multiple days, whether those materials uh, were uh, knowledge building, whether they sort of uh, have a coherent progression of knowledge such that at the end students would have learned not just some ELA but also some content knowledge and most of the materials didn't fare well on that. Um, and then I think by far the area where the materials um, fell the flattest uh, was in terms of offering supports for teaching diverse learners and there were two dimensions here that we evaluated and First, we asked whether the materials provided any kind of differentiation support for English learners or other groups where teachers might need that support, and the answer is basically virtually none of the materials do that. And then we also asked to what extent the materials represented cultural diversity, uh, focusing there on race, ethnicity, natural, uh, national origin, and gender uh, of both the authors and uh, the text themselves. And our reviewers felt that most of the materials didn't really represent the diversity that is apparent in American classrooms these days. Um, and so that's just a few of the um, areas where I think our reviewers said the materials fell short, and there's certainly more detail in the report. So the overall picture is certainly not very encouraging. I guess one thing you might hope is that over time teachers would gravitate toward the best content that's available even if the overall supply of content is not particularly strong but if you're looking at the 300 most popular resources out of something in the millions i guess you know, that doesn't seem to be going on was there any evidence at least within this limited set that the most popular resources were those that were the strongest well, so we did, you know, we we're pretty limited in what we could do with a sample of 300 and, uh, and the measures that we had. But we, there was a, a tiny bit of, uh, evidence that, um, that our overall ratings were, uh, related to, uh, the number of downloads. So on Teachers Pay Teachers, we related, uh, the, again, our overall ratings to the number of downloads as reported by the website, and there was a correlation of 0.4. So I don't know, you know, how much stock you put in a correlation of 0.4, but that does suggest that, to a small extent, the the higher, uh, the more downloaded materials were rated a little bit more favorably. Again, just in our sample of materials on on Teachers Pay Teachers, I will also say to your question, you know. Um, you might hope that the cream will rise to the top, um, and uh, and the best so the best materials will be downloaded and used more over time. One challenge, which isn't actually in this report, but I'm, I'm working on a different project using Teachers Pay Teachers, is that the ratings. You know, Teachers Pay Teachers allows users to rate the material, and on average, across we actually downloaded hundreds of thousands of materials for that project, and the average rating is 3.98 out of four. So there's no there's no um, signal there that can be used to discern uh, high quality from low quality materials. So the overall picture, as I already said, is not very encouraging. 
at a minimum, this seems like a missed opportunity to get useful materials in the hands of teachers. Uh, at the maximum, I guess it's outright doing harm in terms of the quality of curricular content that students are exposed to. So the question becomes, what do we do about it? Your recommendations in the report seem to me to focus on the supply side, improving the quality of what's available. How might we go about doing that? Well, I think that, you know, you could imagine um, doing things to help identify the best materials that are already on these websites, um, perhaps by including expert ratings alongside uh, user ratings. That could be one example. Um, I think school school districts or maybe state departments of education could get in the business of either, again, of uh, sort of evaluating what's already available and saying, hey, these are good, or perhaps uh, creating their own supplemental resources. So, you know, teachers are pretty unanimous that they don't want to use a textbook from cover to cover. That's not the way that American teachers think about using curriculum materials. And so there's going to be supplementation. I think if there were a source of more trusted, high-quality materials, um, then, uh, you know, I think that that could result in uh, in better and more coherent curriculum actually in the classroom. I suppose an altogether different approach might be to reduce the demand for supplemental materials, perhaps by providing more comprehensive core curricula and making sure that teachers have that available to them. Is that just not feasible as a way forward? I think I think it. It is feasible to an extent, um, and, and I want to say, I don't have these data in front of me, but I know that Rand has studied um, Louisiana as a state that is really pushing hard on core curriculum materials as a reform lever. And I want to say that they have produced some data, again, using their, their surveys of teachers, that showed that um, teachers were actually supplementing less in that state because and and the assumption is that that's because they have high quality core materials. Also, I know that teachers in that state get more training on those materials, both in service and pre-service. So, I, I think that that's promising. I you know I don't think we're ever going to get to a place of zero supplementation, and that's not what I'm advocating for anyway. I mean, listen, I think the idea that you've got three million out three million teachers out there going to websites weekly to find materials to use in their classroom is a little bit nuts from a standpoint of uh, the coherence of what actually gets delivered to students, not to mention the burden on teachers' time. I mean, it just seems kind of crazy. Well, that's why I wanted to push back slightly on your claim that this isn't actually what teachers want, that maybe they actually would prefer a little more scripting, guidance, scaffolding as they make these decisions about how to structure their lessons each day. Yeah, I mean, I think that, listen, there's clearly a balance here, right? Teachers don't want no support, but they also don't want to be told these are your materials and you can't use anything else. So uh, I, I, my, my strong sense is that right now there is room to tighten, um, and, and, I, and I would advocate that. Um, in fact, I'm writing a book that's going to advocate that. But, uh, but I don't think that we're going to go to a place where um, – where school districts are saying to teachers, you know, you really should be using the core materials and you really shouldn't supplement at all. Um, I don't think that would go over well, at least not without some kind of trade-off. My guest today has been Morgan Polikoff, 
Associate Professor at USC and author of the new study, The Curriculum Bazaar, published this week by the Thomas B. Fordham Institute and summarized under that same title at educationnext.org. Morgan, thanks for being part of the podcast. Hey, it's been fun. You've been listening to the Ednext podcast. If you like what you've heard, be sure to subscribe on whatever platform you use so that you don't miss an episode. And especially if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. It helps us find more listeners and more listeners to find us.